0: Donna Michelenko was a 38-year-old mother of three living in Butte, North Dakota. On November 2nd, 1968, after a night out, a male friend dropped Donna off at her house. She was never seen again. 48 years later, private citizen Eric Grabowski took an interest in her disappearance. On this episode, we talked to him about the early stages of his work to solve this case. I'm Ed Denzel, and this... Is unfound. If you ever wanted to know what it really takes to put on an NFL game every Sunday, you wouldn't just talk to the players, you'd talk to the coaches, the scouts the grounds crew, the referees, maybe the owner of the team, the ticket salespeople, the parking attendants. And only then, after talking to all of these people, would you get a good idea of how much work it takes to put an NFL game on. You can't just watch the game on TV to fully appreciate all of it. I take a similar attitude regarding Unfound. Although we cover cases on this show, and that is the most important part of what we do. We want these cases resolved today if possible, tomorrow at the very latest. But those cases also serve another purpose. They allow you, the listener, to develop an all-encompassing idea of what goes on regarding disappearances in the United States. To further enhance our knowledge, we've talked to reporters, Tim Wright, Lee Clifton, Patrick Marker, family members, The list is extensive, and I thank every one of them for appearing. We talked to a lawyer, Tad Tobias, the no-body guy. A forensic artist, Carl Koppelman. We've even talked to another show host, Gary Jenkins, whose specialty was mob disappearances. By listening to these people and learning from them, we become more knowledgeable about the missing person's environment. Just like in the analogy of what we would have to do to learn everything about what it takes to put an NFL game together. It's through this knowledge of the missing persons community that we are going to make the missing persons environment in the United States better. In this episode, we're going to learn what we can from another segment of the missing persons community, the Citizen Journalist. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Good's site, charlieproject.org. Donna Michelenko was last seen in Kiev, North Dakota on November 2, 1968. She and a male friend went to a bar and stayed until midnight. Her friend said he dropped her off at her home in Butte, North Dakota. This was the home of her ex-husband and three children. She was never seen again. Michelenko had a history of leaving town voluntarily for extended periods of time. Because of this, she was not reported missing until almost two months later on December 27, 1968. Foul play is suspected in her case. The interview for this episode is with professor and citizen journalist Dr. Eric Grabowski. Next up, where you can find Unfound? You can find the program on Twitter, at Unfound Podcast. You can also find it on Instagram, at unfound podcast as well on facebook we have the unfound podcast discussion group the conversation there has been really great recently really good lots of activity i hope you'll take part unfound can be subscribed to and downloaded at podomatic and itunes unfound has been getting some very nice reviews at itunes recently that means a lot to me and it really helps in the marketing of the program You can email the program, unfoundpodcast, at gmail.com. And please mention Unfound at all the popular true crime locations, including Reddit, Websleuths, Podcasts We Listen To, and all other true crime websites and forums. Unfound News. I want to express condolences to a recent guest, Carl Koppelman. If you'll remember, he mentioned that one of the reasons he got into forensic art was because he was taking care of his ailing mother. Unfortunately, she died at the end of February. Her name was Shirley Merrill Himmler. Carl, from myself and the listeners, we offer you our deepest sympathies. I'm going to be doing some cross-promoting with another podcast. The host of that show will be appearing on Unfound. Then I will be appearing on his show. I'm not sure exactly if it will be a standalone episode or a midweek episode or maybe I'll even give you a double feature on a Friday. I'm just not sure yet. Whatever the case, I think each of us can help each other's podcast bring in new listeners and it's fun to network with people who are doing what I'm doing. Finally, Unfound made its first best of list. Yes, I know. Nobody is more surprised than I am. Player.fm ranked the top 40 true crime podcasts for the first part of 2017, and Unfound came in at number 29. I have no idea what their criteria is. I did not even know Player.fm put out lists like that. I actually found out from a listener who sent me the link. Thanks to Player.fm, Unfound's guests, and listeners who made it possible. Now a few comments about the interview you're about to listen to. Eric is very early in his investigation, so you will hear some questions that he doesn't quite have answered yet. Keep in mind that he's going back almost 50 years. Once you go back that far in these cases, it's almost like going back to the 1800s. Limited forensics, deceased witnesses and investigators, no DNA, no cell phones. However, what he's been able to do in just a few short months, find the family, contact them, meet with them, gain their trust, talked to some people who knew Donna at the time in 1968, and he does this all from scratch. I'm very impressed. I hope you will be too. Maybe you'll even think about starting your own investigation. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound, Eric Grabowski. Eric, welcome to Unfound.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Eric, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, and then tell them how you got interested in this particular case, the disappearance of Donna Michelenko.
1: Okay. Well, um, I am, <clears throat> my primary profession is, uh, I'm a um, instructor, assistant professor, actually, of uh, communication, and uh, currently at Dickinson State University in western North Dakota, of course, Whenever I do this sort of thing, I want to just give the disclaimer: I'm speaking for myself and not for DSU or any of its entities. Very good. But uh, as a uh, um, scholar and teacher of communication, and um, you know, we're both from the Pittsburgh area. My graduate degrees are from Duquesne University, and my bachelor's degree is from Grove City College. Um, so about sometime around 2010 2011 as I was thinking about some some options for freelancing and and consulting as sometimes academicians do um, eventually you know I got to know more about um, what's kind of out there on the net and what people are talking about And I guess I've always had an interest in um, crime issues just as a general citizen and um, I don't I'm not really into the morbidity of it, at least I don't think so, and uh, I do try to be motivated by the, the the justice component, and of course, just as someone who likes to do research anyway, um, you know, either as a scholar or as a regular citizen, as I mentioned to you before, my, my main hobby is amateur genealogy, so I, I like to do research. And mm-hmm. So around 2012-ish, I um, said, you know, I should get interested in some of these cold cases, and and I don't want to say completely that I was you know not unmotivated by the heightened sort of general media fiction and nonfiction, but like I said, I've always been interested in crime and justice too, so it's it was there. So you know, on, in North Dakota, there's a, a Attorney General website, um, attorneygeneral.nd.gov. You could search the site if anyone wants to, and there was a list of cold cases there. And actually, the first one I got interested in was the was murder, and that was the oldest cold case in North Dakota uh, that's listed, and that's Larry Phoebus. In 1962-1963 uh, time frame, he was murdered and found later, and I'm still interested in that case. But
0: and that's still unsolved, a, so it's still unsolved. That's still
1: unsolved, yep, okay. that's still unsolved. Okay. And so, um, over the couple years, and, and you know, both personal and professional life get ahead of you, and and I wasn't as attentive, and then I started to get back to these cases, and um, at some point, somehow it crossed my mind, too, to get interested in the missing persons component, and, and I had branched out a little on some other, studying some other murder cases from around the country. And I have to say, it wasn't completely, but partially, your show that got me thinking, well, looking at these other cases and, and, and the missing persons component is, is important, and um, And it's a theme. I mean, I have to admit, you know, I'm pretty big on social media. I like to watch trends. Um, And, you know, I don't consider myself a professional journalist. I am a good writer and a good researcher. So whether you want to use the term freelance or citizen journalist, whatever. And so I decided to to zero in a bit on this particular case. Um, Second oldest cold case in North Dakota. uh, First oldest. Uh, in terms of a missing person, and that's, of course, we're here talking about Donna Michelenko. And so, you know, sometime um, last year, when we first started communicating, i had, I was starting to, to to branch out my interest in missing persons. And uh, you know, you and I had talked and and I wanted one thing that I was just tough to navigate one's time, it's it's finding an outlet. And so obviously, having an opportunity to come on your show, um, allows me the opportunity to do the research and to do the compilation and analysis, and but then collaborate with you. And this provides an opportunity for an outlet. I don't know, podcasting is something that you know a lot of people are listening to, and you're seeing from your shows getting slowly more exposure. You know, people people hear it. I like the notion that was brought up by another guest on your show that it's it's what, you know what you're not necessarily seeking closure, you're seeking resolve.
0: You know, yes,
1: you, and so that's that. Prob that might be a good way of uh, describing the the justice component that I think and I hope motivates me on this. You know, people want answers, and it's it, both the public and actual family and friends. I mean, and that's that's a real motivation. Um, so that's that's me. And uh,
0: Did, now, uh, going back to like when you were a kid, like teenager into your early twenties, uh, do you watch like uh, unsolved mysteries and shows ab- like that?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, certainly, I wouldn't call myself a avid reader of the mystery genre, but certainly, definitely read my share of Hardy Boys reprints when I was young, and another great one I read later on in life, G.K. Chesterton's Father Brown mysteries, if sure. anyone's familiar with that. Sure. And uh, Murder She Wrote, if you remember, that was a great television program, and then years later, you have your Law and Order and your CSIs, and of course, we know that sometimes that stuff is sensationalized, but you know, I think that, uh, you know, we know that uh, fiction has to represent some portion of reality, even when it's fictitious, to be compelling.
0: Right. And Law and Order, I can remember back in the day, said, ripped from the headlines. They would do cases, yeah. like, you know, it's a fictional show, taking re- real cases and then turning them into a fictional version of those cases. So, yeah.
1: Exactly. So, you know, I, I, my talents, you know, I want to use my talents in a way that... that um, can be helpful, whether it's genealogy or, or any sort of research. You have to be able to um, use these sort of old-fashioned methods of, of, of talking to people and staying organized and being motivated, and then utilizing these digital avenues that we have to to take it to a new level. But you can never lose sight of the old-fashioned methods,
0: of course. So tell the listeners a little bit about Donna Menschleika, what you first discovered, and what you've learned since then.
1: Right. So. Um, let me start with what we know is is true, to fairly likely to be true, and I'll mention, you know, <clears throat> over the years in North Dakota. Keep in mind, North Dakota is for the most part a rural state with a fairly low population, but you know, with a fairly active state and local press. And of course, like with any case, you know, you always want to kind of read what has been been said about it. And, Um, And on the front end, let me say that when we talk about filling in the gaps on what's out there, that doesn't necessarily mean that what has been reported is wrong. Um, Sometimes things are just incomplete, and then with the sheerness of time, and then of course once the digital age happens, things tend to get repeated, Um, it's just the record needs expanded. Um, But I will say I'll mention some. Some sources if folks want to do their own research. Um, Please. Around at some point in the in the in the two thousands, there was a heightened attention uh, at the state level to cold cases. So of course some of the cases had some renewed attention in the press. And um, November 9, two thousand nine, Bismarck Tribune. That's out of Bismarck, the capital city of North Dakota. Then there was another piece in the Walsh. County Press, November 17, 2009, and both of these articles give some overview. Um, Donna Michelenko um, was missing, presumably since uh, November 9, 1968, and that actually was in uh, McLean County, uh, MCLEAN County in North Dakota, um, and of course, as I said, there was some heightened attention um, at the state level to, to these cold cases. And, and again, as I mentioned, the Attorney General's website has a, a list of them, and I don't remember the number that are, that are on there now. And usually what was reported in general in the press is that Donna was uh, spending time with, and then eventually uh, spending time at a bar with, a friend um, and more on that soon um, at a bar. Um, and then after that time, um, you know, she had disappeared. Um, it was also reported that the person and in, in who I've the friend in this interview I'm gonna refer to as BL for now. Um, only for a couple reasons. One is I'm still uh, expanding my reflection on uh, his involvement. and I, honestly I haven't uh, tried to talk to him yet, but I, it's on my high level agenda at this point. but okay, so for now this friend, who I'll refer to as, as B.L., um, was with her. And about Donna, and again, based on these press reports and, and just some stuff I've generally heard, wonderful person, very outgoing, very caring about people, um, had three children with her uh, husband, um, and a little bit more on that in a second. One of the news articles had said that she was uh, had decorated wedding cakes and uh, I don't know if that was for profit or for fun or both, uh, but that she, you know, she had an inclination. She was focused on other people, congenial, and uh, was caring. And, and any accounts I've heard to this point about her all keep that uh, idea going. And so um, another thing is that, uh, you know, she, she was prone, and this is reported in the, in the media, that she was prone to take you know, trips uh, for periods of time and that uh, that was one reason why maybe there wasn't as much of a red flag raised uh, on the front end
0: so uh, she, she had she, children and, and she lived with her ex-husband but she would leave at times by herself and be gone but, for a while
1: yeah and so this is this is the this is the next level of that is is though. so she was divorced and um I don't know the exact year of the divorce, right now, but she didn't necessarily live with her ex-husband. She did spend time there, um, you know, cleaning and and had relationship with her children, and um, you know she was she was not. I guess the word would be estranged in the sense that there was no communication or whatnot. She did care for her family, and so there was involvement. And so the gentleman who she was with that day and at the bar, um, did claim, and this is reported um, in, in at least one of the articles that are out there, uh, that he dropped her off at that house um, of her you know, uh, former or uh, husband or whatever and children, and so um, that was his claim. But she did technically live um, in another place in town. Um, By herself? By herself, yes. And it, at least all accounts, both, you know, sources and media reports that I've read. And so, and this friend, uh, it does turn out through my conversations with with family. Um, um, so the gentleman that she was with, which is often referred to as, as a friend, uh, they were romantically involved. Um, and again, this is the gentleman, B.L., that I'm using this, this name today. The initials, yes. It. Um, so this event happened. The bar that they were in, which I have um, got the name of it. It's closed now. Um, Earl's Bar uh, was the name of the bar, and in fact, the town in which that bar bar was in is well. It looks it's K I E F, North Dakota. It's a small town um, named after Kiev. These were people that settled in this area that were from the Ukraine, and um, and so. Uh, K I E F um, is 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 how it's rendered. Whether you pronounce that Kiev or Kiev, but um, it's pretty much a ghost town now. If you want to learn more about it, there's actually a website run by a guy named Troy Larson, ghosts of North Dakota ghosts of North Dakota and you can search Kiev, North Dakota, and and you'll see that just the various pictures on the site. Uh, it's it's a it's you know relatively low populated and you know it's just I don't know if it's technically a ghost town but it's it's not very active
0: so it hasn't benefited from some of like the fracking that's happened in North Dakota over the last few years
1: doesn't seem to be you know based on any indication I have now whether that will change with an eventual resurgent oil or not but I think probably where it's located I assume logistically, It's not as um, necessary to to that sort of movement and transportation and cultivation. The area where um, uh, a lot of this family, friend, sphere is an area called Butte, B-U-T-T-E, North Dakota, which is not terribly far. They're both in McLean County. And that's where um, this gentleman, this friend, B.L., uh, actually had a uh, a farm uh, south of uh, Butte, North Dakota. I don't, um, that's, so they were all kind of in this area. Now, I did learn, and through my communication with family, uh, which, as you know, we're going to be continuing sure. that communication to get her on the show.
0: Hopefully, yes. Yeah, and for now, I'll
1: just say it's, it's one of the daughters and her family who have been very helpful. But um, I did learn from her that... Um, uh, her her full name was actually Donna Jean uh, Michelanko, and um, and Michelanko of course was a married name. Uh, Donna's Donna Jean's Donna's um, maiden name was Height H E Y D T, and so you know she was Donna Jean Height, who was then Donna Jean Michelenko. Um So it seems, of course, she did maintain her her married name even after the. The legal divorce. Um, so <clears throat> that's you know a lot of the basics, much of which is reported. Some of the details aren't necessarily in the media accounts, um, and again, part of it's because they just don't end up there. Um, but that's the basic overview of what we know, almost for sure, or for sure, about the situation. Okay. Um, sort of the next step in my thinking is kind of to go into um, well let me just tell you a little bit about my where I'm at right now and in certain research angles Um, I have pursued public records requests Um, North Dakota is a sunshine state so that's fairly easy to do Um, at the state level and I mean at the Attorney General's level um, I did get the answer back that this is sort of an ongoing open case so you know that's pretty much exempt and and they don't disclose um i have heard back uh a an acknowledgement of my cr- request from the uh plain county uh, sheriff's uh group whatever that is sheriff's office and and they are uh, i don't know what they're going to get back to me with and i've had a, a confirmation of my request with some clarifying discussions from the state police and and we're working through that. So maybe the next time on my show, I'll have some update on that. Okay. I do still need to think if there are any other uh, police departments that I, uh, or government agencies that I should talk to. I have uh, had wonderful communication with some family members, and uh, I also have a growing list of um, former, and I don't know if current, but at least former um, law enforcement folks that. Um, maybe um, willing to talk, I don't know, because I haven't contacted them yet.
0: So these are would have been maybe detectives who were on the case at the time and are now retired
1: or later, meaning or, or later when the either the county or the state revisited it. Okay. So that's sort of a next line of attack, but I do have a list of names growing that that includes those folks, so I'm I'm enthused about that. I have a source that was um uh, suggested to me um, that I did reach um, who was a local in the area at the time and again for now I'm just going to refer to him as, as uh, HP um, now a re- couple of the reasons for this one is I just recently talked to him he's put forth some, some insights that um, and I think he's very credible but just in terms of good due diligence wanna corroborate and fill in as much as possible but he said some things that that are that are interesting and um, that are that are worth pursuing, and um, I will uh, maybe make some reference to that today.
0: Do you feel comfortable I, in maybe just giving the listeners a little idea about how you might have found this guy?
1: Yeah, he was an he was a guy that was um, when I was talking with uh, Donna's family. Um, we had just I, I we were talking as much as possible about the context of that time, which as you know is so important. And this is 1968. Mm-hmm. And somehow we got onto the issue of, of, and I had a question too, is you know just because people say or the, the newspapers said or say that you know, she was in this bar and she kind of had this timeline or this route of travel, how much was that corroborated? And somehow we got into a discussion of people who may remember that day. And so this, this gentleman um, was suggested to someone who was, who was around that time. And I, and I did talk to him, and and HP did say for sure that uh, he remembers, um, you know, being being there and and uh, seeing that day, you know, knowing and hearing that they were in the bar, you know, for sure, and that um, and he's not the first that said this, and I have a number of of folks that have that have sort of said this that you know in the relationship that 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 Donna had with this gentleman. Um, at the bar that she was with you know there it was it was there was some uh, anger and violence in that relationship and that was on display even that day at the bar but so
0: that, this, that night that evening that night or whatever it was at Earl's bar there was some signs of that then
1: yeah exactly so this guy um, had had known of that at the time he would have been a bit young to have as much direct vision of what happened at the bar but it was known and then when he was sort of out and about, um, he had seen um, uh, a car that was uh, sort of off the road in the ditch, and um, you know, possibly the, the, the car of the of the uh, the friend that Donna was with, and uh, you know that was interesting. Um, and of course, that's something that to continue to to follow up on and to think about. Another thing too, that I learned from the family. Um, maybe you should get
0: into this being that you keep saying that you've con- you're talking to the family How did you find the family? I mean, after you know she disappeared in nineteen sixty eight it's almost fifty years later. I think some of the listeners who may want to do something like you're doing right now may want to know how did you go about finding some people after all these years?
1: Well, I guess the advantage too, if, if, when you have a unique name like Michelangelo and um, and you, know, you have a, a lower populated state like North Dakota, sometimes it's a little easier to find people. And I had done some calling around toward the end of 2016. And then at one point, the, the, the one daughter who I've been in communication with she she actually called me, and, and so that just you know proactive phone calling, calling around to some people with that last name, she uh, she called me, and I can't remember if I actually I think a, a family member may have given my information to her, or I may have left a message. I think it was more the, the former. and so that gave us some rapport, and we started talking. And um,
0: she had to be so, excited after all these years that somebody was taking such an interest in her mother's case.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And um, you know, eventually, I went up there. There was there was some weather patterns, and just regular life circumstances. We finally found a time I was able to get up there and meet meet there with with her and and other family members. And so that was incredibly helpful.
0: Sure. And
1: so um, I did learn also that when Donna. Uh, donna had a dog um and i never saw that in the media reports um and that the dog's name was uh trixie uh, at least as this, this family member recounted it and that the uh, dog also was uh, missing however um just recently from uh, my my source hp his he said that he remembers hearing that they actually did eventually uh, find the dog um, near a near a Lutheran church in the area, and that the dog was uh, dead, uh, shot oh dead. No. Oh no! So that's something, um, you know, whether that was connected or not. Obviously, uh, it may have been, or maybe the dog got away and then someone had to shoot it. I mean, we don't know.
0: Her dog was shot dead, and like, what else did you discover? So
1: between my um, conversations with family, and my conversations with HB um, clearly I see that there was some uh, angry or violent moments in Donna's relationship with her um, quote-unquote friend um, and that that was on display both that evening and in earlier points in their relationship Um, it seemed to me that uh, Donna with someone who you know at this point of her missing going missing with someone that was you know living a life but also being attentive to her children and um she cared about her family so this is something that's been you know obviously sitting with the family and i would assume the community and i do want to make some time when the weather breaks to actually go more into that actual place where it happened because that's not where the family members where I've met with live at the time right now I mean and so I, I do want to try to get a sense of some of the locals at some point a little more deeply and have in the future have a sense of that but so something like this just sits with people you know we go back to this issue of resolve now I have um, obviously some some ideas um, that how this all happened and of course This friend, again, BL, as I'm naming him now, obviously um, was, and and again, it's hard to get public records in terms of actual investigation, but he was obviously at one point uh, a suspect or a strong person of Of interest as well. Yeah, he would be. And um, over time, though, um, you know, after those steps and however they play out, which there are gaps in my. Uh, knowledge record there for the reasons I've stated, but we're working on that, is that um, that dissipated over time, right, in terms of his being pursued. Um, It is interesting that he had said that, you know, he dropped Donna off at her, um, you know, at her her husband's house. And by the way, her husband, her former husband, ex-husband, whatever, um, his name was, was Bert, at the time, and then their children, their three children. That's interesting why, you know, we're dropping, claiming to drop her off there. Which is possible. I mean, again, I'm saying this BL, this this gentleman, um, in my mind too, is, is is highly likely a candidate for this. But it's not necessarily the case. Um, okay. This is one of the reasons why it's important, at least as much as possible, to try to see whatever. Available records there are, and to continue to talk. Now, I do believe that from a journalistic standpoint, um, you know, between having programs and expanding digital, uh, the digital dragnet, so to speak, and corroborating and analyzing, um, we have to also be open to other possibilities. Um, sure, but you know, you look into the fact that Bl and Donna had. Tensions and violence in their relationship. That he was the last person that she was seen with. Um, the car incident is is interesting, and the fact that he he did have a farm not far from south. It was south, I believe, of Butte, North Dakota. Um, that that doesn't that makes him a good candidate. Um, he is still alive, as far as I know, and I do plan on at some point soon calling him and letting him know what I'm doing from a journalistic standpoint and ask if he'd like to talk um, trying my best not to assume anything on the front end and if he is willing to talk to uh, you know say what he wants to say um,
0: Have you looked him up in any databases as far as any trouble that he might have been in
1: since 1968? I have and I've not seen anything as of today um, I'll be just to go into the big picture open source material. Of course, as I learned from family, that uh, Donna Jean's uh, maiden name was Height, H-E-Y-D-T. She was uh, what's called Germans from Russia, which is a unique um, legacy of Germanic immigrants to this part of the country. They're called Germans from Russia because they um, spent time under the Tsar and then came to the United States. and so she was of that lineage. And of course, a Ukrainian name, but she married into that. Um, was that Bert's? No- was
0: that Bert's last name?
1: Uh, yeah, Bert Michelenko. Yep. Okay. And so, um, the uh, I look looking into her genealogy, looking into her life as much as possible, looking into uh, BL's, you know, life since I haven't seen any red flags that would say, wow, that's, that's interesting, right? And, and so at this point, in terms of, you know, open source material, and again, that's as of today, there's nothing that says, okay, this is really a red flag about her or him after the fact or, or anyone else. So yeah, as of now, there's nothing that's coming up as a red flag, but of course, open source research is always continuous. You never quite know as, you, as I find ways to access you know, records or sometimes records get made available, whatever. But as of now, there's
0: nothing. Because what I know about the case, and that just is, for example, going to charlieproject.org because Donna's case is listed there. By reading the account there, you could easily come to the conclusion that this boyfriend did drop her off at home and her ex-husband was upset that she was out with another guy and something happened to her that way. You could go a few different ways in this, and that is you know disappearances as well as I do. It's a very common occurrence that, yeah. you know, jealous lovers take, you know, uh, get violent and make, in particular women disappear.
1: Yeah, that's uh, definitely – there's no question that, that you know, in my mind, that's a scenario that one has to play out. But
0: So what I'm know, saying is BL – Can be seen as a decent suspect, but you look at that scenario, and you could say Bert could be one as well, and of course, it could be neither.
1: Right, and so my if I were to if I had to rule out, and it's not at this point, I guess, completely reasonable to rule out Bert, but based on all conversations I've had so far, um, although they were divorced legally. Donna had no, um, that I've discovered, no obstacles to maintaining um, good relationships with her children, and no obstacles from her side of going to that house and helping clean, keep house, take care of her children. It didn't seem to me, based on anything I've heard, that there was any problems to the point that that, that, that you would... Um, other than he being the ex-husband, uh, other than his being the ex-husband, then that, that being an issue. And it sounds like, based on my conversations with family uh, and just general reflections on what I know, that um, if he was looked at at all, he was ruled out. And I don't see anything um, in his background, again, that would say to me, yeah, he could have been someone that, that murdered her. Is it possible? Sure. But um, I'm, I just don't, lean strongly that way as of today.
0: Of course. Was Bert uh, the father of all three of her children?
1: As far as I know, yes.
0: Okay. All right. So all right. these people then you're talking to, for example, uh, this daughter, it's her actual father that uh, it could be a possible suspect in this case. Just if you can say this, um, does that uh, Were you in any way or anything like that about, do you think they're shading their opinion in any particular direction?
1: From a journalistic standpoint, I have to always consider that. Um, and which, of course, is why, you know, when I, you know, talk to people um, and you let them know you're approaching it from a journalistic perspective, I think there's a way of balancing out, Good listening and asking good questions with the broader realization that the the journalist, be it professional or citizen, has to do their homework. Um, So uh, there's always the possibility that the family, any family, any family is going to have that shade. I will say, though, I didn't sense when talking in in my ongoing conversations with uh, any family member that there's a a, a more than ex- an excessive or more than normal um, lack of objectivity on these things. I, I I don't see it. And again, based on my looking at the big picture, from the media reports and, and conversations and discussions, even with uh, HP, um, at this point I would say that the 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 idea, the hypothesis, the theory, whatever you want to call it, that the husband, Bert, did it, is is I would say. At this point, not likely.
0: And would you say that the the family, once they found out that you were interested, in would you say they're all in with you? Do you think?
1: I've yeah, the, at least this particular wing of the family that's that's tied to this one daughter. I haven't um, encountered any um, problems or or you know change in tone or or anything like that. And again, anyone else I called around to in December, um, I this particular daughter has been so communicative and helpful I haven't even yet branched out so
0: okay. I ask that because uh, being that you're a listener of this show and I deeply appreciate that and the listeners know that I covered a case that it coincidentally happened very close to where I live here in Madeira Beach a disappearance case from 2011 the disappearance of Kelly Rothwell and you know on this show we mostly talk to family members of people who have disappeared in that case I have a friend of mine Lee Clifton who got involved in that case so she is continuing to do to this day what you're just starting out doing now and the reason I asked that is in the Kelly Rothwell case the Rothwell family you know got connected to Lee very quickly and now after all these years are very very close and I guess that's what I mean that there was an all in factor where these people met Lee and said you know what I think this woman is really going to do all she can as a private citizen to yeah. find out what happened to Kelly. Are you getting those kinds of feelings coming from Donna's family?
1: Uh, so far, yes. Okay. Um, I don't know if we're ever going to become super close, but I can say that there's no question that there's an interest and a rapport that is authentic um, with the folks, again, in the wing of this this daughter's family. And, um, and again, I, I do need to revisit some of the other contacts that I was starting to generate uh, before this family member called me, and that's who's really been my primary point of contact. Um, have,
0: you, have you entertained the idea, being that she was a woman who seemingly left for periods, did, have you ever figured out where she went? Is that a question you asked her family, her daughter, where they thought she might have gone these times, that during those years uh, that she disappeared, I don't know, for days or weeks? Any ideas on that?
1: Yeah, at, at at this point, it seems as if she most likely never really left the state. Um, the trips could have been um, to visit um, family, friends, sightsee, whatever. Again, Donna was a, a amicable, outgoing person, attentive to other people. Um, I have found no inclination that these were uh, tied to any, you know, nefarious activities. Um, and so, I mean, you know, could it have been tied to her disappearance if, if uh, you know, BL wasn't the guy and if the husband wasn't the guy and somehow she decided to take a trip on that same day? I mean, but it just doesn't seem like that happened. But
0: uh, is it possible but, that she just walked out of her life?
1: Um, now, this is this is a good question. And so something that I am most likely would rule out at this point at this point is that she intentionally disappeared um both from conversations with you know the daughter and the daughter's family as well as this HP it seems as if that um after her disappearance and over a period of time that her personal um funds uh remained intact and that uh her belongings um you know there was no sense of someone um you know, taking a bunch of stuff or kind of accessing things at a later time. So, you know, th- th- those seem to be the sorts of things that that have glitches when someone intentionally disappears. I've also just done some national open source searches, looked at different name combinations, and um, haven't seen any uh, any basis on which to conjecture that she might have reappeared elsewhere under a similar or different name. Now, again, those searches always continue, but I, it, to me, it's highly unlikely that she intentionally disappeared, partially because, again, she was so attentive to her family, um, and also there's just no indication that, that she accessed her resources or anything like that.
0: How does the family feel about BL after all these years? Is If you can say... Uh, you don't have to. Um, how do they feel about Bl as a suspect after all these years?
1: Um, the, at least the family I've spoken to um, has has clearly he remains someone who uh, certainly um, could be a strong suspect. Um, you know, with the understanding that we don't know every detail. Um, that's for sure, and. Um, you know, keep in mind you're dealing with, uh, again, a rural w- state with a lower population people, know people. So, you know, like this Butte, North Dakota area um, and the surrounding small towns, you know, a lot of people know a lot of people. So, um, so you kind of have to deal with that um, proximity of people, either in terms of the idea of those people or the people themselves. So, I think I don't. I'm. I'm never going to say they've. They've come to terms with it. But I think that they. You know, there's. There's a sense that BL. Um, it, there's a lot of good reason to suspect him. There's a lot of interesting. You know, things that we've discussed. But uh, at this point, it needs to be pursued. And um, you know, whomever it is, whoever it is, then we. We we need to find that out, whether okay. it be the police or them or journalism or whatever.
0: Does the, does the family at this time I know it's been several years, several decades now do they ever remember BL showing any sort of remorse that Donna was gone? Did he ever come around like after shortly after Donna disappeared and says, said hey I have no idea what happened to her I just dropped her off, I'm sorry, I apologize did he help do any searches you know the usual things we look for in cases like this
1: Right, so based on my conversations with family as well as on my discussions with this um, H.P. Um, I don't get any sense that 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 uh, B.L. ever did a really proactive involvement. He was available for questioning. Um, my sense is that over the years, again, remember you're dealing with location and proximity, that it was certainly uh, awkward at times. Now, whether that awkwardness is because of of um, uh, guilt or shame or embarrassment or uh, just not wanting to be caught up in a false, you know, idea. Mm-hmm. Time will tell, and the facts will tell. Um, it was not a completely a strange situation. Again, you're dealing with people that know each other and live around each other and know people who know people, family or friends. Um, but it, my sense is just by my interpretation of of uh, people, certainly awkward. Um, for sure especially again keep in mind 1968 Donna is legally divorced from her husband she's still taking care of her kids it's a small town area Um, it's known that she's spending time with with BL Um, you know there was some again anger heightened anger violence in the relationship with BL Um, and for sure um, you know, and he was questioned, and there were, you know, considerations that BL was a suspect. So, you know, that that after all that time, um, it can get quite awkward.
0: Sure, Eric, as you're working on Donna's case, does it ever cross your mind uh, on how things might be a little different if she had disappeared, let's say, and instead of 1968, it was 2008, with cell phones and DNA and, and things like that.
1: There is no question that, um, and we see this real time, particularly on Twitter, that when someone goes missing, um, especially young children, but even persons who are adults, that there's a greater immediate awareness and attentiveness to that person or just to the general notion of being missing, and that is a really, really strong advantage. But it's never a guarantee because on the other side of that coin, we know that um, either intentionally crowdsourced information or just incidentally communication, communicated information, um, can be wrong, accidentally, and you know who knows. As some people talk about when they talk about open source intel, there's always the possibility of disinformation. And so, you know, I have in mind here, of course, the many discussions out there about the Boston bombing situation and how there was all this movement on social media and, and some of it very helpful, but some of it turned out to not be so helpful. Um, and so that's, it's 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 I guess you'd say it's a blessing and a curse sort of thing. I would say it's probably more, more pros than not because the quicker you can get that information out there and the quicker you can raise awareness, um, I think that's a good thing. But again, I got to go back to those old-fashioned things about you know uh, good research and being cautious and and um, and uh, yeah, that's the ethical and and the uh, professional side of you know using these digital media and, and other related things as tools that we you know that we um, have to use with care and caution, but proactively.
0: Sure. Maybe you can help the the listeners with this if we want to move into a more general idea of you know your investigation and your interest in this case the research and everything that you're doing maybe this can help some listeners out there who may want to do that in a case that they're interested in is this something where you put together a step by step plan like you say like for the next month I'm going to work on this and or is this a little bit more I guess you might say a little bit more seat of the pants type of thing that where you're are much more flexible
1: um Probably, practically speaking, a little bit of both. I I do try to have a general plan. Um, open source material um, is always a good place to start. Looking at every possible media report um, to have a sense of what the facts are, or the facts are believed to be. You gain perspective. Um, you get names. Um, but then you know, there are times where you have to be a little bit flexible because, and, and we'll get to this shortly, you start to think about other hypotheses or by other suggestions from either sources or things that you reflect upon on your own, you sometimes have to run with that. Well, let's talk about
0: this then. What what, what, what Let's breach let's, let's that
1: subject right now. Right. Let me go through then just sort of ruling things in, ruling things out, and then how I've had some recent possible slight change of thinking on that okay so of course um, I do believe that at this point it's safe to say that uh, BL um, should be considered a prime or primary suspect Um, but again we can't take things off the table I I have mentioned that I at this point I'm not inclined to think that that Burt was involved Um, I do not believe that Donna intentionally disappeared You know, and barring any future evidence or or strong inference in that direction, I just, I don't see it. Um, From years ago, when I was, you know, starting to get interested in the Phoebus case and looking at cold cases in general, um, I remember a, a former colleague of mine at Dickinson State University, and I'll mention his name here and told him I would, Mike Shaughnessy. He's a biologist, Dr. Mike Shaughnessy. He's now at uh, Northeastern State University in Oklahoma, but he always he said to me once, you know, you should look at these cold cases together. It's always possible that maybe if there was someone in the area that was a serial killer or whatever, you know, could any of these cases be connected? So I always have that on my mind. At this point, at this point, sure. I, I haven't stumbled upon anything um, that would directly connect any specific cold case to another at this point, um, for sure. And that's something, though, that I always keep as a sort of analytic framework. Now, I was, um, obviously, early on, um, I ruled out what we'd consider, uh, generally speaking, organized crime. Um, certainly, uh, in, in those days in North Dakota, you know, there wasn't really, as far as I could tell, any strong influence by a, you know, Eastern European uh, mob outfit that's, as you know, very much a, a post- cold war sure. uh, manifestation in the united states i mean yes. it was here yes. but it it heightened after the end of the cold war it was yes. here before but it heightened i didn't see any of those sorts of connections i didn't see anything in donna's life that says she was involved in any even a local organized crime sort of thing that would have got her knocked off uh, so uh, i was willing to to rule out at, at that um, but i will say this is interesting that um that uh, HP when I was talking to him very recently we were just talking about other possibilities and um, he had mentioned to me that uh, Butte, North Dakota uh, has had a bit of a history of, of shady activity uh, in you know crime and even uh, something uh, that, that people involved in uh, satanic worship. So he had recommended to me to, to start reading, and I'm going to start reading, the uh, the book, which you may or may not have heard of, uh, The Ultimate Evil by Amari Terry.
0: No, never heard of it.
1: And he says that there are some, and, and, and I did some quick looking, and of course that there's always been this discussion about uh, the, the Berkowitz case and, and some connection across the country that he didn't necessarily act alone, and somehow North Dakota gets involved in that. But, so, this Maury Terry...
0: Michael Burke, Mike Burke was the son of Sam? Is that right? Okay. Okay, I pulled that off the top of
1: my head. All right. You got got it. So, when you look at the Maury Terry book, and I did confirm this after uh, HP mentioned this to me. He mentioned some factual people in there, but changes some of the names. So, HP mentioned some things that I have to follow up on before I'm willing to talk about. I'm not saying that I believe, at this point, that... um, that, that Donna was killed by a satanic cult, or drug dealers, or a mixture of both, or you know, hitmen. But it's something interesting to look into. Um, it, it, it's interesting. You know, is it possible that maybe it wasn't B.L. and, and maybe those circumstances point that way? But there could have been some other nefarious activity. You know, that so yeah, I did look online after I talked to uh, H.P. and I did see that over the you know. Buttes had its incidents of troublemakers and and shady people, and could there be a whole third party here that could be involved? Again, this is just very broad conjecture at this point. So I was almost ready to rule out organized crime, or almost ready to say, hey, I probably wasn't a serial killer, but, you know, if there's any sort of third way in this, and it could be tied to, to something like, you know, these other sort of... Ideas about, you know, national or regional criminals, then you know. I guess you can't completely rule them out at this point. No, you can't. But, so it, what, I'm going to uh, be I'm going to be reading that book, The Ultimate Evil. I'm going to look for some of the things that that HP said. By the way, HP just we were just talking. We were just saying, hey, what are some other possibilities? Obviously, we talked about BL. We talked about um, Bert. We talked about it's it's, it's this guy. Just kind uh, of
0: brainstorming.
1: Like, brainstorming. And he had said, hey, such so-and-so and so person said once, maybe it was this so-and-so person, check out this book. He had mentioned some possible uh, persons or circumstances that I have to re- reflect on and research more before I'm uh, even close to being able to discuss it as possible publicly. But you can see, ever since I've had this conversation with uh, HP recently, now I'm just focused on, okay, I'm just going to, for fun, read this book. The ultimate evil, Maury Terry, and just go with it and see if there's anything there, and, and look at times and dates, etc.
0: Maybe an obvious question I should ask you. I'm sure probably the listeners would have thought I would have asked it by now. But Bert, her ex-husband, is is claiming she never got home that night, right?
1: That yes, right.
0: Okay. All right. So he's the the the, so that's the, 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 the friend? Of, that's the that's the,
1: the, that's the position
0: co- of the family, right. That's, That's a
1: general view, right? They After her, basically, that her evening out with her quote-unquote friend, she never should they hadn't seen her again.
0: All right, so BL says she, he dropped her off, but Bert is saying that he, she didn't get dropped off. If this was a more recent case from, let's say, 2010 or something, and I was talking to a family member about this, I, I'm sure the question would come up. Well, somebody says she got dropped off. What does the person who was at the house say? So that's right. Why I thought no, I there's
1: no question that, that it, everyone's, you know, just whether it be the family or, or kind of their sort of regular circle people, people didn't see her. Again, you have to kind of cross that over with the issue of she was kind of in and out of town. But, you know, red flags eventually started to go up. Yeah.
0: Okay. How soon was she reported missing uh, after that day? Was it The next day? Not or? right
1: no. Uh-uh. It was not right away. Um, it did take some time. Um, I've heard or seen some mentioning of a specific time frame. I'm not willing to stand exactly on that yet until I see an actual document that says that. But it was not right away. Um, but I don't, I think maybe that sometimes if someone reads the reports and they see the, the newspaper articles that say, well, she was prone to take trips so that that, you know that that people just didn't think about it. That's not exactly the story either. I think that um, she was missing. It was on people's minds that yeah, she's someone who takes trips, but the red flags were going up, and then there was an eventual you know reporting of a missing person. I don't know the. I can't factually verify right now the exact time frame on that.
0: Has Donna been declared dead?
1: Uh, last I know, there's no official declaration. Wow. But if you look on, still. Okay. yeah, well, and again, I, let's so on the attorney general website, and this is probably related on the Charlie Project too. I don't know. Um, I think endangered missing is the classification they're using. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not know for sure if the state of North Dakota ever did a, an official declaration. That's a good question. But the classification that's online is, is endangered missing. So that obviously means someone who's, you know, could have been beat up, could have been killed, could have been whatever, right? And they're, and they're missing. So um, that their life was, was in danger. So, But I don't know if there was ever an actual declaration of death. Okay. Let me, let me just mention one other thing. Okay, please. Um, and I remember uh, looking at the uh, one forum a Forum, not a forum, a comments on a website, seanmunger.com, s-e-a-n-m-u-n-g-e-r.com. It just has a one-page thing there talking about that part of North Dakota in the case, and um, someone in the comments section had made the interesting suggestion, and take this as a suggestion for anyone doing the research that when you look at Donna's case, you know, can you compare it to, you know, some of those Jane Doe databases that are out there. And uh, of course, that's always a noble path. Now, I want to mention here again, since I do not believe that there's any uh, reason that her body's ever been found. I think in this case, you're probably not going to find a match in a Jane Doe database to Donna. But I think that's always a good, good route to take. And
0: um, I understand what you're saying.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think at this, I don't think in this case it applies. But for those out there that, that are that are doing this whether it be a citizen journalist, amateur sleuths, whatever. Um, you know, that, that is a good route of research, back to your question. But, again, I, I don't I don't think her body's been discovered, and so I don't think you're going to find, you know, in a Jane Doe database, Donna, at this point. I just don't see that. Okay, My so plan, you're, you're
0: under the impression that her body is out there somewhere and it still has yet to be discovered?
1: Correct. I think it's most likely somewhere in the Butte, North Dakota region and whether it's on BL's farm or somewhere off the road or somewhere else I think it's most likely in that region of North Dakota somewhere in or around McLean County for sure. Um, My plans of course are to continue to um, have communication with some of these uh, family and, and other sources. I have some other names that I'm going to be contacting um, that have been suggested to me about people who had ties to that era, area in one way or another. I am going to start communicating with the law enforcement name list that I'm starting to build. Um, see what comes up from public records requests, but I think at this point uh, a digital dragnet as well as an offline dragnet's a great idea. I. Um, uh, I've mentioned to you, coldcaseweb.com. Just getting going.
0: Yeah, yes. Tell the listeners about that. Just
1: going to be a site that I'm going to use exclusively for um, cold case research um, and whether it be directing people elsewhere like to your site for this interview or updates on other cases, definitely on there. And if anyone knows anything about this, this case, coldcaseweb.com, my you know, Google voice phone number and one of my email addresses is there. Uh, and I'll have other cases there, too, eventually. Um, I'm really liking what I'm seeing on your Facebook page. And again, not just for this case, but for others. You know I'm a fan of thinking about how crowdsourcing can play a role. Sure. So I want to continue to, to cultivate social media. I'm fairly active on Twitter. Um, I have communicated with the family about working on some flyers to get in the, in the North Dakota area, in that area, um, and maybe elsewhere in North Dakota, um, because someone out there, knows something more than we've already talked about thought about and whether they've heard it directly or indirectly and it may or may not always be true but it's a lead to follow um, with that when I have that as I have more of the digital presence and even the flyers out there um, you know I'm, I'm, I'm going to consider some other social media LinkedIn etc as well as um, you know, even something as basic as Craigslist or Backpage, just dropping some some notes on some of those um, uh, general discussion forums. You know, does anyone know anything? And you know, just contact me directly.
0: Um, Eric, and I also, if yep. I if I may jump in here for a second, what Eric was alluding to about a minute ago is that Eric and I, although um, we've talked several times about this case, we've also talked about we're both a little frustrated with uh technology and the way that information is assembled in relation to crowdsourcing. I think that the example that Eric and I uh bring up the most is for example like uh the the website WebSleuths.com great website okay you find out a lot about a lot of cases on there it's very interesting I'm a supporter of that site however the forum Uh, The way that site is done, it's a poor way of accumulating information. It's a very poor way. It's very laborious to go through a thread and read about all these little bits and pieces of a case. And Eric and I have talked about, I am not a computer expert by any means, but we have talked about that a couple times, about there's something that needs to be devised that assembles information a little more efficiently. Right, Eric? We've talked about that.
1: Yeah, I think that the, the concept's great, it's just that, uh, and this is where maybe some of the, um, you know, not just us but others, you know, marketing and PR expertise can, and promotional expertise can meet the journalistic side and, 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 and just thinking about ways uh, to connect these uses of technology in more efficient ways. I think social media, I think, again, I like what I'm seeing on your Facebook page now. As your show gets more popular, that's going to only grow. Um, Twitter has its advantages. Um, I think ways of linking social media um, is, is something I'm consistently brainstorming on. I think one key for sure is have very simple ways for people to share information. Um, yeah, like you, I love those those forum-type websites, but it can become real cumbersome to sort of sift through that, and it's not always time-friendly either.
0: They're great if you want to talk to other people about a case, but they are poor if you're actually trying to pull information.
1: Yeah, right. Right. That's right. And so, you know, that's that's it. So, you know, always, we should always, all of us in, in this area, um, family, friends, citizen journalists, professional podcasters, you know, anyone else that gets involved in this stuff, think about ways to efficiently and effectively um, link these these means of communications while at the same time never giving up on those old-fashioned research techniques that are always going to be relevant.
0: How much time do you think, uh, this will also help the listeners out there who may be thinking about doing this on their own, how much time do you think you're devoting to this a, a week and hours, if you feel comfortable saying?
1: It's hard. It's hard to say for sure. It's 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 like with your previous question. You know, Do you work with a plan or do you have flexible, and it's both. I think you have to be if you're going to do something like this you have to be prepared personally to be all in. You know, depending on what your main profession is, um, you know, one day you might be able to dedicate 5 minutes, but then another day, you know, you might have to put 3-4 hours in. Would you uh, say I,
0: maybe you, you hour a- average what? 5 hours a week working on this? What do you think the average has been? Uh, just so people know if they want to get into something what they might be in for.
1: Um, I would say if someone, and I don't know if this exactly reflects my time, but if someone wanted to do some citizen journalism or citizen activist on these things, that they, at a minimum, at a minimum, they should be willing to have a baseline of three to five hours a week. Okay. Um, it's going to go more than that sometimes, um, especially when you're doing your open source research um, and then staying organized. And if you take it to that level of actually talking to people um, and finding how to reach those people and then doing the conversations and then you find another idea, you know, you don't want to lose that enthusiasm. So you just got to get into it. So again, it, it, it just depends. But I would say, no doubt, a minimum, minimum three to five hours a week, minimum.
0: How is this so far? How do you think this has affected you as a person? I mean, already you're a college professor; you're you're molding young minds and getting you know them prepared to go out into the world. And then you're doing this. What has this added to your life? I
1: believe that the general interest in these things, I hope for me personally, has reinforced uh, the the idea that. Um, for me, which I think I I work to authentically hold, that um, justice is an important component of a good society, um, both at the the general level and at the individual level. And that if we have particular talents that we can bring to the table to help with that, um, that motivates me. And when you're sitting there talking to a family member or you're talking to a source, or you're just reading through old articles You know, that's, you got to have something you're interested in to keep going that has an authentic motivation. Um, That that just continues to reinforce it for me. Um, And, you know, there's always more to learn, whether you're doing academic research, your own amateur genealogy, or you're doing citizen journalism like this. um, There's always more to learn. There's always another angle. You always have the job of verifying your facts and then looking at the various, you know, theories, frameworks, arguments, and you have to be willing to to balance that subjective and objective dimensions, those dimensions of it. So it it verifies a lot to me. I can't say that this case has been completely paradigmatic because I've had an interest in this stuff and I've been trying to specify it, but I'll say it validates the importance of this for me. Right. Right. Because you know whether Donna was you know when she was murdered is highly likely she was murdered. Uh, there's there's material that needs to be known. Her body is somewhere, uh, or was somewhere, and um, yeah, justice needs to be to be served.
0: Right, Eric. Why don't you uh, give out to the listeners? You mentioned Twitter. You mentioned uh, the website. Uh, why don't you detail all the places that the listeners could get a hold of you? Okay. Social media and elsewhere.
1: Yeah, let's let's. So right now, I'm just finally getting around, and again, thanks to you, uh, in this case, an opportunity to, to to communicate, which again, by the way, for this case in particular, um, will always be uh, this sort of thing exclusive to you.
0: Well, thank you. And,
1: yeah, and so, uh, but holdcaseweb.com um, is where I'm starting to build my own sort of. Um, overview of the cases that I'm interested in as a citizen journalist. And uh, that has my one of my email addresses and uh, the one I have listed there I think is eg at coldcaseweb.com. So if anyone wants to ask questions about research or if you know anything about this case, uh, please share it with me. Um, now is the time. you know. Now is the time. And uh, also on Twitter Uh, twitter.com backslash doctor it's DR because I have a PhD in rhetoric DR E R I C G R A B O W S K Y Um, I should probably at some point uh, link that to that cold case website and I will Um, and then the uh, I I don't have a specific Facebook presence for this work yet I mean I have some things going I might use I mean, you can find me on on Facebook, either a personal page and a general page. But I'm um, I, I might just kind of rely on your page for these cases pertaining to missing persons because you have some good activity in going in the
0: uh, in the Unfound podcast discussion group. Yes, we have a lot of uh, active people there, and I love every one of them. We have a lot of great discussions there.
1: Yeah, and I'm and it's it's starting to shape up that that could be a nice um, place to do some crowdsourcing. Uh, because as your show grows, that Facebook page is going to grow.
0: I think that um, what's so unique about the group is that the listeners can talk to the actual guests that I have on the show. Because just about every guest that I've had on the program uh, ends up being a member in the group. Yeah. You know, because it's a private group. It's a very controlled atmosphere. There aren't any trolls or anything. It's some really good uh, quality discussions can be had there, and listeners can ask these people back and forth. They can have great conversations there. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm
1: excited after this sh- this uh, this episode is officially released to play a, po- a part in that. And of course, I'm excited because the nice thing about having those conversations, just like I mentioned on that you know comments post, um, you know people have ideas. I mean that you haven't thought of, or I haven't thought of, and yes. so. That, that'll be good and and so between kind of throwing out the the dragnet and then pursuing some, some more of the leads that I mentioned um, I certainly hope to be back and plan to be back sure. for an update this case at some point in the not too distant future and um, to just give us gonna, more
0: updates I'd love that
1: yeah and I'm going to be you know whether we do 15 minute spots or hour spots or whatever but I'm going to be um, pursuing this uh, proactively and uh, professionally and um, and again, it's 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 important for the family, for the community, for Donna, and um, you know who knows whether there'll ever be a you know because just with the way that evidence and such are. And by the way, I'm not uh, I'm not in any way uh, not uh, a proponent of law enforcement. So certainly, as I build a journalistic picture. You know, um, although I'm not necessarily going to put all my journalism at the discretion of law enforcement, if I ever run into anything that I think for them would be important for them to know, I would keep them in the loop, of course, too, because I would want to see the real killer, murderer of Donna, whoever that is, be brought to justice.
0: Uh, Eric, anything else that you'd like to say before we uh, conclude the interview for tonight?
1: Well, again, I've appreciated the opportunity to have this outlet for this case and, um, you know, my goal over the next, let's say, month is to continue to widen my purview of, of verified or possible facts, um, continue to branch out in terms of sources and um, have uh, some some more clarity on some of the good uh, Points that we're that I'm working through, and and I know we're working on the possibility of of getting some other, at least one, if not more, other folks on this program. I want to yes. make this this publicity for this case. I want to make this a key component of how we get this case solved. That's what I leave you and your listeners with. And again, if you know anything, coldcaseweb.com, eg at coldcaseweb.com. Now is the time to talk. Thank you.
0: And Eric, thank you for joining myself and the listeners on this episode of Unfound. And that was my interview with Dr. Eric Grabowski. I appreciate him being on the episode. A couple things that he mentioned just about the friendship that he and I have developed over the last about six months. He mentioned that we're both from Western Pennsylvania. That's true. He grew up closer to Pittsburgh than I did. And I want you all to know that that's true. In full disclosure, he and I actually went to the same college, although we were not there at the same time. I think that I graduated in the year that he entered Grove City. I graduated in May of 93. I believe he started at Grove City in September of 93. I think we were like two ships passing in the night there. I want you all to know that that's a total coincidence. I can assure you that anyone out there who is devoting a part of their lives to bringing light to a disappearance is welcome on this show. Eric, being from the same area of Pennsylvania and the same school, had nothing to do with his appearance on this program. In regards to what's going to happen next with Unfound and the disappearance of Donna Michelenko, I hope we can have her daughter on. This would be the daughter that Eric has made contact with. Get her on the program so she can talk about her mother, what she remembers about her, and what it was like to grow up not knowing what happened to her mother. Maybe she can expound on what Eric has mentioned in this interview. I would really enjoy that. I hope that can be arranged. Maybe we can make that happen in May or June, sometime like that. As for this interview with Eric... I get the idea that he has a long road ahead of him, and I think he knows that. He's basically starting from scratch. The case is almost 50 years old, and he still has a lot of leads, a lot of questions to be asked, a lot of people to be talked to. Uh, his, he makes his way through all of this. And when he's further ahead into his investigation, he's collected a lot more information. I plan to have him back on. I don't know if we're going to do another hour interview. But I would surely like to do a 20-minute interview about what he has learned since this interview that we did here in March. Maybe we'll do it as a Monday release of Unfound. As you know, we release every Friday, maybe a Monday or Tuesday, something to break up the week nicely, something like that. I will entertain those options as Eric and I continue to talk. As for the interview itself, here are some points that caught my ear. Maybe they caught your ear as well. The dog being shot to death. I think that can be interpreted a few different ways. It could be that the dog, Trixie, was with Donna. Something happens to her. The dog runs off, runs into somebody's yard. Somebody shoots it. Or the dog was with Donna, and both of them were murdered at the same time, if you believe that Donna was murdered, Or it could be that the dog just ran away and was out there on the streets that night that Donna was out with this friend of hers, and the dog dying had nothing to do with her disappearing. At this point, I'm not sure what to make of it. It sure does seem a little too coincidental. I'm sure that's something, though, that Eric's going to look into. This future interview with BL. I'll be interested to hear how happy BL was to talk. Was he excited about talking about Donna Minchelenko Was he hesitant? I'm not even sure that BL has done even one interview since 1968 regarding the disappearance of Donna. As Eric said, he was a suspect at one time, but then after a while, it seemed that that suspicion kind of died away. Maybe just because the police lost interest in the case. I happen to think that. We'll know a lot more once Eric tries to talk to BL, and if he gets to talk to him, what BL has to say. I'm also wondering if there's any other women in BL's life. Are there any ex-girlfriends, ex-wives? As I've mentioned recently on another episode of Unfound, that the jails and prisons in the United States are full of men who were put there by— ex-girlfriends, ex-wives, who finally rolled over on them, as these women should have. That also might be an avenue that Eric wants to look into. And also be interested to learn if BL still lives on that farm or still owns that property that he had back in 1968 when Donna disappeared. You heard Eric say that his suspicion, if Donna was actually murdered, and BL had something to do with it, that her body could be on that plot of land. I'll be interested to know if BL still owns that land. If he doesn't, if somebody new owns it, then maybe Eric can arrange a search to be organized. And that would be interesting. Get some dogs out there and see if there's anything that seems out of the ordinary on that property. But what caught your attention? Since this investigation is just new, what would you do in Eric's spot? You can let him know since he'll be in the Unfound discussion group. I urge you to seek him out and ask him questions about the work he is doing. He's uh, really excited about doing that, and he wants to correspond with the listeners of Unfound about this work that he's doing. Please find him and start a conversation in the discussion group. And one more thing. It's David Berkowitz, not Michael Berkowitz. But that's the end of the show. If you enjoyed this episode, I urge you now to go to iTunes. Please give Unfound a great review. This past week, a lot of people have logged on to iTunes and given Unfound some five-star reviews. I can't thank those listeners enough. I deeply appreciate it. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound. Thank you.